2: Hey everybody, it's Dan. Today we're going to continue our look back at positions for the Browns for 2020. And today it's the front seven, the linebackers and the defensive line. So we're going to talk free agents, we're going to talk impact players, we're going to talk draft importance. It's Mary Kay Ellis and I on today's pod. Of course, always make sure you check out Football Insider. If you haven't yet, head to cleveland.com Browns. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page to get all the information about Football Insider and get yourself signed up. Okay, let's do it. Here's our Thursday podcast. And away we go. Continuing our positional reviews, Dan Lobby, Mary Kate Cabot, Ellis Williams. We are doing the front seven here. So we're going to do linebackers and defensive line. And let's just start with the linebackers. So the first question here is, I guess the big question with linebackers is, will the Browns invest in linebackers this offseason? Or is that just sort of a pipe dream? For, uh, for Browns fans who want to see this linebacking core upgraded. Mary Kay, you go first. Is, is this a position the Browns would invest in?
1: Well, it's, it's not a, a premium or priority position in this defense in terms of committing a ton of money to it. Uh, so I don't think you're going to see them go out and spend, you know, 10 and a million, $12 million on a linebacker. And I think that's why they were willing to let Joe Schobert go uh, where he made $10.5 million with the Jaguars. I just don't see that in the cards for them per se. Uh, but they will probably uh, draft one or two again, look for another one or two in free agency. So they will fortify and bolster the position, but not with, uh, not with some big blockbuster trade or, or some big huge name, I don't think, at the position.
2: Yeah, Ellis, I feel like we spent so much time talking about the linebackers this offseason. I mean, look, look, there was nothing else to talk about, right? But we spent so much time on this position. But it really does feel like, eh, okay, whatever they do. It it just doesn't feel real important to this team.
0: Yeah, that and the number three receiver, which both (laughs) in the grand scheme of things didn't really matter. I mean, like, with injuries and whatnot, I guess, like, technically, who started at three, Mattered because you got promoted through injury, like I said. But yeah, that in linebacker seems like a position, like Mary Case said, that the Browns just don't prioritize. And I'll, I think it has a little bit to do with just the going rate for what these linebackers make on their second contract. We, Dan, we, we just mentioned CJ Mosley uh, before we got on the air here. You know, that's a linebacker who played great for the Ravens and then leaves, gets a payday. And you just haven't heard from him for a few reasons. Same thing with Joe Shover, who had a good season in Jacksonville, but this regime already proved that they're not willing to pay there. So I wrote about this on the um, Monday morning of the Chiefs loss. And it's hard. It's just hard to find a a quality linebacker like that, like a guy like Devin Bush or who plays for the Steelers, Devin White who plays for the Bucks. Like if you're not picking in the top 10, you don't get that freakish athlete talent for the linebacker at a rookie rate. And then if you want that type of athlete, you have to pay top dollar. And most, I mean, everyone wouldn't consider Joe Shover the type of athlete either of those Devons are. So it's a tough position just to find in this league in general. And this regime has already proven they won't pay for it and prioritize the back end and the front four over the linebacker in general.
2: So I feel like, too, this has something to do with the discussion we had yesterday about when we did corners and safeties, right? It feels like Joe Wood's defense is built to have more safeties on the field. And then I kind of flipped it in my head earlier. I was, I was talking to somebody else about this, and I kind of flipped it in my head. When I look at the Browns offense, right, what they do really well is they find ways to match up, you know, Jarvis Landry or Kareem Hunt or someone like that on a linebacker. So they send out this big personnel. They use motion. They, they go empty out of 13, all this stuff. And all of a sudden you see, oh, there's Jarvis on a linebacker or there's Kareem Hunt on a linebacker. And Baker sees it like every time. And I wonder if the Browns kind of look at that and think, you know, I'd rather, we'd rather have safeties out there. We'd rather have Grant Delpit be that guy, or we'd rather have Ronnie Harrison be that guy, have more safeties on the field, than linebackers. I just don't think we're going to see if this defense is whole. I don't think we're going to see more than two linebackers very often. We might not even see two linebackers all that often. It might be a lot of, you know, we're going to see a lot of nickel and dime. I think if this defense looks the way it's supposed to.
1: That's true. But one of the things that they do have to take into account is, um, is defending against the Ravens twice a year. Uh, so, you know, I mean, you, you do have to consider the audience and that is something, uh, that, that they have to deal with. It's a unique, it's a unique offense and you've got to be able to get past Lamar Jackson and, and that, you know, like I said, that unique Ravens offense. If you want to win the AFC North and get to where you want to go, because it's not going to be every year that three teams from the AFC North are going to make the playoffs. It's not going to happen like that every year. Uh, So you've got to be aiming to win your division. So some of what you do in the off season is going to have to be geared towards trying to get past the Ravens because they didn't do that this year. They didn't do it. And, and I've said this before, if they didn't, if if, uh, if Odell Beckham Jr. didn't win that Dallas game for them, they wouldn't have been in the playoffs. So they have to aim to be able to stop the Ravens, and that might take uh, a linebacker or two that you don't have on on the field right now or on your roster right now. Uh, so so that's another thing to consider. You have to look at uh, you have to look at the competition in in the AFC North right now.
0: Mary Kay, I completely agree. I'm glad you brought up winning the division as a priority goal but on top of just looking at the Chiefs or just looking at the AFC in whole I think how you build a winning football team and a winning culture is focusing on your division and prioritizing winning that rather than wild card or big picture Dan I really like the question about this team being in diamond nickel but I think it's really important to mention and to note that essentially the play that ended the Brown season. And I'm not talking about the fourth and one to Tyree kill. And I'm not even talking about Chad Henney's 13 yard scramble, which I talked for three hours about on got to watch the tape, which listeners will see in the feed what happened. We had a recorded one episode today that we ended up breaking into two, so on and so forth. But where I'm going with this is it was the third and four check down swing pass to Daryl Williams, where BJ Goodson was simply just slow to the tackle that really cost the Browns their season. And I find it so fitting that all year we spent time talking about the linebackers talking about, yep, we know they're slow. We know they're not that great in coverage. They've gotten a little better, but at the end of the day, you can't teach foot speed and you got what you paid for in BJ Goodson, not being able to make that play. So they can be in nickel or dime and have one or two linebackers on the field. But like Mary Kay said, it's about winning your division and, First and foremost, the Ravens have more speed than probably anyone in the league, aside from the Chiefs. And second, the Bengals have two really talented scat backs, Joe Mixon being a more every-down back and then Gio Bernard. And again, I don't think you, you prioritize your whole offseason in stopping a checkdown throw to the running back. But again, it's a play that ended the Browns season with a running back that runs 4-7 speed and in the AFC North, you're dealing with the Ravens and you're dealing with Joe Mixon and you're going to need linebackers that can cover in space. And aside from probably Jacob Phillips, there's not one on the roster that can do that right now.
1: And you know what? I, I mean, I think they they thought that Mac Wilson was going to be that guy. And, you know, it just didn't turn out, And you know, to the point where, you know, I, I don't even know if, if Mac is going to be all that long for this team with, with the way uh, that things went for for him this season I mean I, I could be wrong about that but um, you know he just doesn't really seem to live up to uh, what they're looking for at that spot
2: yeah it's it's a tough case to to bring back Mac Wilson um, if you just can't it, I guess it might depend on what he can do on special teams but I, I just you can't come back and sort of like with Greedy Williams obviously a different situation right because Greedy was hurt but like we've talked about with Greedy Williams, you can't go into next season just counting 100% on Greedy Williams. You can't go into this season. You know, this season was a little bit of house money as far as some of these young guys. Like, hey, let's see what Mack Wilson can do and see what Taki Taki can do. Uh, but you can't do that now. You're trying to win your division. And, and you guys are right. You play six games against your division, and there's only one way to guarantee a, a home playoff game, and that's to win, that's to win your division. So it, it is very, it is very important to kind of build your roster towards that a little bit. Uh, get to some of these names here just uh, you know I asked our our football insider subscribers our texters to rank linebackers in order of importance in in 2021 and I actually think the number one guy you know nobody got an overwhelming number of first place votes but the the number one guy I thought was really interesting it was Goodson and of course he's a free agent a one-year deal Is, is Goodson back next year should he be
1: back next year you know what I, I think that he is the kind of player that you can find another BJ Goodson somewhere. So either, either resign him or find somebody to replace him. I don't think it's, we have to make sure that he's back next year. I think he did some good things. I think he was an inspirational leader of the team. I think they liked him a lot. Uh, I think they put him in some situations that, uh, that were a little bit, uh, you know, over his head or that he wasn't ready for, or that somebody else should have handled, but they didn't have that guy. Uh, again, when we're talking about some of those speed situations. Uh, so, you know, I don't think it's a do or die thing. I mean, I, I think he did, again, I think he did some things well, uh, but I think he falls into that category of, you know, I mean, you hate to say it because it sounds like such an insult, but in the scouting world, it's called just a guy. I mean, you have some people on your roster that if it works out from a financial standpoint, you can keep them. And if it doesn't, you can find somebody else that can get the job done. And I think that's the situation with him.
0: If this team plans on, or eventually does like they, of course they plan on it, but things happen. The draft doesn't fall your way. You don't want to overspend in free agency. If they end up not improving this linebacker room, it'll be because they kept both Taki Takitaki and BJ Goodson. I think you only need one of them in the mold that there's in a way do a lot of the same things well and struggle in other areas that being coverage. Uh, Sony Takitaki's coverage grade according to PFF was 49 this year and BJ Goodson's was in the sixties. And then you have a guy like Malcolm Smith who was 74 in coverage grade little less in tackling and, and run defense, but that's what you're you, – you, you knew what you were bringing in there. And Malcolm Smith and B.J. Goodson both cover the, the veteran leadership role, if you will, and then Smith is better in coverage. So I don't know what that means for Smith going forward because he was brought in as more of a, a safety valve when uh, Mac Wilson went down, if I'm remembering it correctly. And then he became a, a pretty big part of the defense. But I think there's only room for Goodson or Smith – And if they're both back along with Taki Taki, if all three of those guys return, then they just didn't improve this room because those two Taki Taki and Goodson take care of the same thing and sort of run defense. And then Smith is your leader along with Goodson. So you can keep one of them and not the whole group or else your room doesn't improve. Yeah. I want to talk about talkie talkie too. Let's talk about Malcolm Smith uh, real
2: quick um, because he is also, they're going to have to make a decision on him and he was sort of a a nice late season addition. And by the way, when we talk about all these things, keep in mind what Mary Kay keeps telling you about those comp picks Browns want those comp picks. So Malcolm Smith is interesting, right? A veteran guy. I think he brought what they wanted him to bring. Very good in coverage. Like you mentioned Ellis and and a guy that was reliable Uh, considering how late they, they kind of added him in the process you know, Ellis, you said they might have to decide, decide between him and Taki Taki, or, or you know, maybe it has to be between him and Goodson, but is, is there a chance that they
0: look at Malcolm Smith and say, let's bring him back? I, I think that he's the, if I had to lean towards a guy to bring back, I would pick him and I was not expecting that when they signed him early in the year. I thought it was more of a, you know, break in case of an emergency type player, a guy that was just didn't really have much left to offer on the football field. They ended up playing decent football you know he was in the right spots in coverage uh had a a couple turnovers turnovers break his way and then again he just brings the leadership and and coaching ability and if you have a, a veteran presence in there and plan on bringing in a young linebacker like if they spend the 26th pick on a linebacker then I think that increases the chances of a guy like Malcolm Smith sticking around for what he could bring and teach a young player like that where I'm sure BJ Goodson is extremely knowledgeable of the game as well but there's just Things that B.J. Goodson does on a football field that don't compare to a, a peak in a prime Malcolm Smith who's seen more and been more places and achieved more. So I think you can make a case for both a veteran presence and still someone that probably might have a little bit left in the tank too.
1: You know, I, I once again I think with all of these guys, a lot of them are in the same boat except for uh, Jacob Phillips because they drafted Jacob. Okay, so when when you draft a player, when the new regime obviously comes in and drafts a a young player like Jacob, uh, you know that they're gonna commit to him. Aside from that, a lot of these guys are, you know, sort of expendable or interchangeable. So when they're making their decisions, um, I I think it's pretty evident that, again, they didn't commit a lot of resources, financial resources to the position. Uh, So, you know, they can kind of pick and choose, I mean, if they, they can keep a couple of them. I mean, it seems like Sione Takitaki would be somebody else because he's young. He was a draft pick. Uh, and I think that, you know, they probably look at him as a developmental player who got better this year and still has some upside because this, this was the first year that he really played on defense and got significant reps. Uh, so I would think that those two guys would, would be in the cards. And the other guys are, uh, are ones that, you uh, you know, you can find a role for them and, and re-sign them, or you can look to upgrade the position through trade, free agency draft.
2: Okay. So Jacob Phillips was second in that poll of Brown's linebackers by order of importance in 2021. I would argue with our our tech subscribers that he probably should be number one. He's one of those guys in this draft class that I think made a good impression, but we still don't really know what he is yet. Dealt with injuries, had some flashes on the field. I know his, his PFF grades weren't spectacular. Uh there was one game, I can't remember it off the top of my head, where I thought he played really well. And then you looked at the PFF grades and they weren't great. So I don't know if there's just a disconnect there or if, you know, I was wrong. But I, I feel like we don't quite know what Jacob Phillips is. But like you said, Mary Kay, if they're gonna err, err on the side of caught or air with somebody like a Taki Taki or a Phillips or somebody like that, it's it's probably going to be Phillips because he's a the guy they liked out of LSU.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Ellis what I mean what did you think of Jacob Phillips this year we, we didn't see a ton of him especially after the injuries
0: when you're judging a, a guy who is, has limited snaps and is a rookie you look for those plays that just pop on, a, on the broadcast you know who, that pop when you go back and rewatch it and he had those moments and of course he had plenty where he's not in the right spot where he's not reading uh, the guard right where he's not staying in his run lane but you saw when he got to the football that there were plays there. Now, you could say the same thing about Mac Wilson after his rookie year also. And we just got done talking about Mac in a way. So there needs to, of course, be that gradual improvement. But at least he showed that ability to, to sizzle more than, I would say, maybe Jordan Elliott, who we may get to. But it, you need to continue to improve upon that. Or, again, you land in a boat where it's like, all right, you have these pop plays but not the consistent every down type of stuff to me from a linebacker. What Jacob Phillips does show us though, is the prototype that this front office is looking for at linebacker, the six, two, six, three, mid two hundreds guy who can play sideline to sideline. That's going to be their, their guy they look for in the drafts in 2021 and so on and so forth.
2: And I, I think it's important to note that against Pittsburgh, uh, the second, the second Pittsburgh game, the one week 17, uh, he did play a hundred percent of the snaps. He was the mic. He was calling the plays and he was calling the, the defense in that game. I think that's important to note because maybe the Browns go into next year and, and give him that responsibility, especially if they do decide to part ways uh, with BJ Goodson. So he's a guy to, to, to kind of keep an eye on in that role too. And it makes him more valuable if he can play that role, because that is the linebacker that will stay on the field in all of those situations.
1: Um, yeah. You know what? But I was going to look up. I remember, remember, uh, we looked it up that what, what game was it again? That he um, that he actually was targeted a bunch of times. Oh, there it is. He was targeted. Was it the
2: Pittsburgh game? It yes, was Pittsburgh.
1: Tar- he was tar- targeted nine times and gave up uh, nine nine passes in that game. So once again, uh, you know there are some obvious obvious. Uh, areas that he needs to grow in but they're they're committed to him he's got size he's got explosiveness he's got speed he can do a lot of things he's versatile and and, and they really like him a lot so uh you know you know that he's going to be around so it's just a matter of finding what other pieces uh you know to go around him as well okay
2: before we move to uh to the defensive line we, we've mentioned this guy's name a couple times but Taki Taki um did make some plays this year right you mentioned it Ellis had some of those splash plays uh intercepted Carson Wentz intercepted Ben Roethlisberger in the playoff game so had some splash plays I thought showed a little something this season at least we didn't get a chance to see him a lot uh, in his rookie year so th- this is at least a guy like you mentioned Mary Kay that you're going to keep around and, and sort of see what he can do I think it doesn't nothing is guaranteed with Taki Taki but he's at least earned another shot which I'm not sure we can say about Mac Wilson. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that that's what I would say. I would say that that he is a building block of your linebacking core. That you know he's young. That you you know uh, that that you can coach him up, and that you can, uh, you know, you can get some of those splash plays out of him. He's got good instincts. He's got good hustle. Uh, he sort of represents what uh, you know what they like in a linebacker. So I really do think that um, along with Jacob, that he's somebody that will be here. And then they will build, you know, add around those guys. But I think you can kind of count on him going forward.
0: I'd bet that Andrew Barry wishes that Mac Wilson had the season Taki Takitaki did. Because you're never going to train Taki to be a three-down linebacker. He does, like, two things really, really well. Stopping the run, setting an edge and then I guess three now stopping the run, setting an edge and then playing his coverage. He, he is a Simon sound. He knows where he's supposed to be as evident in some of his inter- interceptions this year. It's, it's not luck when two balls fall your way, you're in the right spot for a reason. He's proven that he deserves an, a, a chance to at least have another season here. If not be the inside linebacker, the run stopper that they go forward with, but and probably be done with BJ Goodson, whether it's this year or the year after. Okay. So here's our, uh, our
2: full, uh, rankings result: We had BJ Goodson come in at number one. Uh, this is what our texters ranked the, the linebackers by order of importance for 2021. Jacob Phillips two. Taki Taki was third. Uh, Mac Wilson was fourth. Malcolm Smith was fifth. I'm a little surprised by that one. And then I threw Tay Davis and Elijah Lee in there just for fun, and they came in uh, sixth and seventh. So I guess there aren't a lot of special teams special teams fans out there uh, pounding the table for Tay Davis. Okay, we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we will hit what you've all been waiting for, right? The glamour part of this podcast, the defensive line. I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, Ellis Williams, and I just want to give a quick shout-out here before we get going. I keep forgetting to do this. Uh, we did a survey on here. You probably heard us heard me read those ads at the beginning of some of these podcasts. Uh, we had a bunch of people take the survey. We appreciate it. We had a gift card winner. Uh, it was Zach. Zach says Danoff, I hope I'm saying that right. Zach uh, congratulations on winning the gift card for taking that survey. We really appreciate it. I think that we'll probably have some more surveys coming your way. Um, Cause we like to know who's listening uh, because obviously it helps us. It helps us make the podcast better and it helps us, you know, maybe make a little money, right? That's what we're all trying to do. All right. Speaking of making money, there are some guys on the Browns defensive line that might get a chance to do that this off season. And that's what we're going to talk about. The big question, though, on this defensive line, and it's been the question since this guy came into the league, and it seems like the Browns had answered it, but unfortunately, Olivier Vernon uh, ruptured his Achilles at the end of the season. Uh, He's on the wrong side of 30. We don't know. We'll talk about Vernon a little bit, but how are the Browns going to help Miles Garrett? Is there somebody on the roster that can do it, or do they need to look outside?
1: You know, I, I think that's a premium position. I think that's a, a, a very, very key position for them to look at in the offseason. And I think they will. I mean, it's obvious. They, they tried to do it last year. I mean, they were looking at Jadavian Clowney. They looked at Nick Uh, they, they wanted to upgrade that spot. And it just didn't work out the way that they wanted it to. So knowing that, I mean, you know that they're going to do that. Uh, it's just a matter of when and how they're going to do it. Um, so I don't know if they'll try to find somebody with that 26 pick or if they'll trade up. Uh, but, but that's going to be a premium acquisition point for them uh, in, in this off season. And I just don't think there's any question about it. Whether they, once again, whether they find one in free agency, whether they try to trade for one or whether they draft one, they will find somebody there in part, because as you mentioned, Olivier Vernon is coming off of a ruptured Achilles, and although Olivier did a tremendous job this year, when Miles Garrett came down with COVID, Olivier came, Olivier came through with them. He had those three sacks in, in the first game uh, that Miles was out, and then uh, he continued to get that pressure and get those sacks throughout the rest of the season while Miles was struggling. I mean, Miles only had two and a half sacks in the six games back in the regular season. Uh, and that might have actually that might have even included a playoff game, but um, two and a half sacks in his six game in his first six games back, and um, and Olivier Olivier picked up the ball and had I think eight in his last nine games or nine of his last eight games it was one of those two things, um, but now again as you mentioned from an age standpoint and an injury standpoint his contract is up, and in my mind it's probably doubtful that they'll resign him coming off of a ruptured Achilles. So, um, so they're going to be in the market for that. And I think you can really count on that. And, uh, that's as it should be.
0: So Mary Kay mentioned the Jadavion Clowney situation. And I just want to pause on that for a second and marinate in that idea. And I think truth about the front office decisions in football sometimes the moves you don't make and actually oftentimes it is this case the moves you don't make end up paying the best dividends for you in the long run and this front office avoiding a a even like a two-year Clowney deal it it just it, it saved this team a bunch of headache us writers would have been writing Mary Kay you would have been writing weekly about Clowney's availability and his injury status it would have just been a mess so this front office really hasn't slipped up once yet and I, again, a move they don't make is a shiny example of that, which is why I have confidence in how they're going to address pairing Miles Garrett going forward. I don't have the answer yet. We've got a you know time to dive into rookies and free agent contracts and all that going forward. But like Mary Kay said, it's a premium position. Joe Woods has shown his hand in the type of defense he wants to build. He wants to beat you with his front four, much like they were doing with the 49ers before he came to Cleveland. Have the best athletes up front so you can drop seven and create chaos without blitzing. To me, I'd be shocked if the Browns don't invest in an edge rusher in the first two picks. Again, don't know what the mock drafts look like. Don't know what the prospects are looking like yet. But spending that 26th pick, their first round pick like they did at left tackle last year would make sense now to... M- marry that with a edge rusher this year, so to me it just feels like a no brainer that help is on the way, and this regime has proven that they're gonna get miles that type of help. Uh, as far as Olivier Vernon goes, it's it's crushing. It 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 really just sucks to point blank period. Mary Kay, I know you were all over the the comp pick that they were planning to get with Olivier this year and. That probably is out the window now. I mean, maybe he signs with a team. I don't know. But an Achilles this late in the year at his age is a very difficult situation to overcome, and it's just it's just a tough break. But considering it won't be Olivier and the other options on this team, as we're going to get through, it it seems like the clear path to improving this position is through the draft. And considering what their rookie class looked like last year, I'm confident they'll do that again.
2: Yeah, I mean. Look, even at 100%, it would have been risky to, to re-sign Vernon anyway just because, right. yeah, obviously, the, the ruptured Achilles is extreme, but this is a guy that has struggled to stay healthy, and it happened again this year. You, you didn't have him for a stretch at the beginning of the season. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I do wonder if maybe the Browns look at this and, you know, if, if they think he'll recover, okay, maybe they can get him on some kind of cheap deal. Not that he'd be the answer. Maybe he'd be a guy they could hang on to and, and see if he can come back and help them at the end of the year. Um, but it, it's too bad for him because he was probably going to get paid a little bit this offseason, even at age 30. Uh, somebody was going to pay him probably based on that second half of the season he had. So they're, they're kind of left with, you know, we saw it in the second half. you got Adrian Claiborne on one side. Porter Gustin is over there. And again, Claiborne, a nice veteran addition. He, he was signed to a two-year deal. So unless they decide to go in a different direction, he's here next year. Uh, gustin is a a young guy that can set the edge, but he's not he's not getting after the quarterback consistently. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if that option that that stalwart option is there right now for this team. But that being said, you know what did you guys think of the performance of those other guys uh, on that end? You know, especially Claiborne when he was healthy. You
1: know, I kept thinking that that Claiborne was. Going to have more sack production. You know, he he sort of got off to a little bit of a, a hot start with uh, didn't he? Have, he had a sack in the first game. I mean, I I think he's a good player. He'll be around next year, and I I, I like him. I, I think he uh, is productive. Uh, I I think he's a fit. Uh, he plays with a super high motor, super high energy. Don't think he's the starter there, um, but you know, definitely a good a good piece and somebody to have in the rotation um Porter Gustin seemed like he got off to a little bit of a a decent start and then he sort of tapered off a little bit as well uh you know those guys just didn't you know they just didn't really kind of come through in a big way big huge way later on uh so I I do think that um you know they they did well enough but I still think that um you know, like I don't think Adrian is next in line to step in there in, in the starting role. I think they have to get someone. And I think it's uh they might have to trade up from twenty-six if they want one of the best pass rushers. I think it, it's hard to find that guy at twenty-six and and they need to find that guy.
0: Yeah, I thought Adrian had a nice season up until the finale versus the Chiefs. I was really disappointed in the way he played, aside from one the the screen he blew up, which was more scheme. Joe Woods dropped him into coverage on a on a third down play rather than sending him and he just was in the right place at the right time. He had just awful lane integrity and did not keep contain on first Patrick Mahomes in the first half on a third and eight. And then the the game, the Chad Henny run was on him. He just he bull rushed downfield and took himself completely out of the play and Henny took off. So I was disappointed in to see that I don't know if it's a coaching thing or a veteran decision to rush like that, but I didn't think a a guy with as many years in the league as him would, would put out an effort that was not aware of the situation and the ability, the escapability of both those quarterbacks. But for the sake of the conversation, he's going to be back next year, like Mary Kay said, and I expect consistent delivery, like he had, all 18 games before that Chiefs game because before that game I would have said he had a really nice if not great season showing up in flashes but he probably just played too many snaps versus Kansas City and that's the difference when you go from Vernon to a veteran role player like that this late in his career
2: yeah I mean the reality is that that's what he is right he's a part-time veteran guy he's there to be a veteran in the room play you know when they need him to play part-time role And, and Gustin is a guy that you bring in compete in training camp again and, and you kind of see what happens. So uh, you, they, they need to find an answer there on that, on that other side of miles. Now our poll uh, that I put up for the defensive lineman ranking who the most important D lineman would be in 2021. Of course, miles Garrett was the unanimous number one. Um, I think we've talked a lot about miles Garrett on this pod. I don't know if, if we need to, to spend time talking about how great of a season he had, but, um, so we'll, uh, we'll leave that to, to maybe some other time. We can spend some time on Miles later too if we want. But the guy who was number two, and this is where the kind of the real intrigue on this roster is, was Sheldon Richardson. Mm-hmm. So Sheldon Richardson is a guy who, if we're looking for any, there aren't a ton of guys on the roster that fall into this category. But if you're looking for anybody who just based on salary could become a cap casualty, Richardson is that guy. The Browns can save a lot of money if they moved on. But the issue is, Richardson had one of the best seasons on that Browns defensive line and probably one of the best seasons of his career, honestly. Uh, in his two years here, all the guy has done is played hard. Seems like he, he brings some leadership to that, to that room. Guys seem to like playing with him. It seems like miles loves playing with him.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I, I don't know. I don't think moving on from Sheldon is even on the table. Honestly, I don't think it's something you want to do, which kind of makes a crowded defense <laughs> interior line position it kind of keeps it crowded, I guess. But Sheldon is a guy that you've almost got to keep around now for a third year and you should keep around for a third year and maybe even talk about keeping him around longer. I don't know.
1: Well, Sheldon is, um, is under contract for next year. Uh, So I think he'll be here. And, you know, I I noticed early on that Sheldon just, uh, you know, he really transformed his body in the off season and he was leaner and faster And more explosive and he was really into this defense and I think he's happy here and I think he played really well he he was the 37th best interior defensive lineman in the NFL according to um, pro football focus and and that's pretty darn good especially when you consider I mean you guys know where Larry Ogunjobi ended up not good take a guess
2: How, how many are there
1: I think it goes all the way. It might go all the way. I I'm, I'm talking about guys that played a minimum of 20 snaps. Yeah. 20% of the snaps. I'm sorry. 20% of the snaps. Um, so
0: I'm and, scared he was in the triple digits.
1: Yeah, he was. Yeah, I
2: mean I I looked at his grades cuz I just wrote a story about him. I didn't look at where he was ranked. I know they weren't good. Um, yeah. God, was, he started so well. Triple yeah. digits, so I'm going to say like 105.
1: Yeah, he was I believe it was 104, okay? Ooh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go buy a
2: lottery ticket. Stop. The As I was campaign. gonna say, I'm out, guys. I'm gonna go buy one of those uh, one of those Mega Millions tickets. It's over,
0: Dan.
1: <laughs> and and that was sort of consistent throughout throughout the season. And um, you know that that just says to me that they're 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 going to give him an opportunity to find a new place to to work next year. I would think. Um, I I just don't think that they're going to commit a ton of of resources to to him. I just. I, I, am not seeing that. Um, they also have Andrew Billings coming back from, he opted out this year because of COVID. So I think he'll, you know, I, I think maybe they'll, they'll count on him and then look to Ulster also bolster the position as opposed to paying big, huge bucks to Larry. But Sheldon is worth keeping around at the $11 million that he's due next year. Again, he was a leader. He made big plays, he blocked kicks, uh, wow. he got his hand up on, on some passes and, and I, I just think he's a really good solid and stout interior defensive lineman and a, and a building block on that line.
0: Sheldon's a beast. He played a, a year in Minnesota before coming to Cleveland and he's just a beast. He looked exactly like the Minnesota version of himself this past season. I mean even last season he is a consummate pro about his business a locker room guy last year you know my first year being able to be in an NFL locker room it just Sheldon controlled the the space around us you know ever you knew when Sheldon was around you know in in all the good ways you know in the in the positive energy type of things that players bring into a locker room he's he's earned the money in large part though because of how Larry Ogunjobi played you know the, the young buck couldn't beat out Richardson here and it would make sense where in a perfect world or maybe how Andrew Berry wanted this to play out would have been to have Larry Joby played, you know, not triple digit PFF grade football. And he could be a long term cheaper option on the interior and then you can let Sheldon go. But that's not how it's going to shake out. Sheldon's earned every penny. I will say this, though, about guys like Sheldon Richardson for Browns fans to understand this eventually once this miles contract miles garrett contract kicks in a baker deal a denzel ward contract he's going to be the type of luxury that becomes a casualty you're not going to be able to have 13 12 million dollar interior defensive tackles when you're paying your edge rusher top dollar you're paying your quarterback like a 30 million starter and you've got a number one corner out there too so next year is probably the last year of Sheldon. We don't need to, you know, get into 2022 and 2023 Browns football, but enjoy it. Enjoy him while he's here. Cause he's a treat. He's a heck of a football player and he's likely back next year for the Browns.
1: And you know what you guys, I mean, let, let us, let's talk about Larry for just another minute while we're at yeah, for it. Sure. Because I think it's, I think it's a disappointment. I, you know, I mean, this was a contract year for him. When you look at his tackling grade, It's in the 20s, and that's what brings him all the way down to 104, and I I don't know. It just, I I expected more from him. I I think the expectations of him were very high, and I I just don't, I don't know. What are you guys seeing in him?
2: You know, he was a guy that I liked, you know, when they drafted him in his rookie year. I I liked what I saw out of him, Uh, but he just never, for whatever reason, he never really grew into the player I thought he showed he could be in that rookie year and maybe it's because you know we talk about that instability with baker right and how he's had so many coordinators and so many systems you know larry's on his third a lot of these guys right they're on their third defensive coordinator you know he's been moving from three tech to nose and and all this stuff there hasn't been a ton of stability for him and he just hasn't taken advantage of the opportunity um now if i'm another team and i can bring in a, a young guy like larry Oganjobi, who's You know, the guy's not going to get in trouble. He's going to come in and work, and I'm going to take a shot on him. Yeah, why not? But I I just don't know if – that's not where the Browns are right now. And when you look at the rest of that room, and we've mentioned some of those names, you know, that interior defensive line, you know, I think Larry's going to end up the odd man out, which which is interesting because, right, it happened to Joe Schobert. Everybody kind of assumed, oh, Andrew Barry's back. He's going to re-sign Joe Mm Schobert, third-round pick in – 20, or was he a fourth-round pick in 2016? let him walk. And now it's, it might happen with Larry, right? You, you think, yeah. oh, Andrew Barry's back. He's going to do an extension with Larry because he was here when they drafted him. And I, I don't know. I don't know that that's going to happen.
1: And a third round pick, you know, you would expect that that's a long-term starter for you. You know, that's somebody that you would think uh, is going to get to his second contract with you. And so, yeah, that, and miles, I mean, he's like miles best friend, uh, you know, you just <laughs> thought that, uh, you know, that they were going to be together, you know, on this, on the Steeline line for a long time. And it just, I don't know, it just, and, and, and Larry, you want to talk about somebody that worked on their physical, Oh my jersey, gosh. right? Right. I mean, he worked at it, at it this offseason, And for whatever reason, it just did not translate onto the field the way that it was supposed to be. And maybe he's supposed to be in a different style of defense, you know? maybe there's a re- a really great role for him in some kind of a defense. I don't know what that might be at this moment, but I, I think that's one of the, I think that's a disappointment that, he- that he's not going to be here.
0: I-, I agree. Mary Kay, this is something I need to allocate more resources to. And now that we're in the offseason, we'll have time to do stuff like this. It's disappointing for me because of the way he started this year. He, he graded out really well against the Ravens and then versus the Bengals in week two they didn't you know Joe Mixon was bottled up pretty well and then I just kind of stopped watching him because I was like oh wow he's you know he's really playing well two division games in a contract year I figured it was just he was going to stay on a consistent path and then the the plummet started and you know the offense takes over being the primary thing we talk about Odell gets injured you know things happen but I was really impressed with the way he started the season and now to have him be the 104th ranked interior defender on PFF. I'm, I'm extremely surprised for it. And disappointing is really the only way to put it. I agree, Mayor mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, I, you know, I don't love to put a ton, I don't, I try not to put too, too much stock in, in the PFF grades. Right. I think, but I think they can be a guidepost mm-hmm. in some way. And when a guy is ranked that low, that gets your attention. Yeah. They're not going to be that far off. Yeah. Um, well, I want to go back to Sheldon real quick before we move on to other guys, because I think you both made really good points. Uh, first of all, Mary Kay, something you said. Uh, I do think Sheldon is really happy in Cleveland. I remember after the scrimmage at the stadium this year, he was kind of talking about like, hey, he got to actually stay someplace, right? He had kind of been getting kicked around after, after, the Jets, after he left the Jets. I think he was happy to kind of have a place to call home, mm-hmm. and I think that's shown. And then Ellis, the thing you said about the locker room, one of the things I always watch when we're in that locker room, is how guys interact with each other because that's one of the things you can see. And, and you said like Sheldon would just sit there and hold court with us at his yeah. locker, but you also saw it like anywhere he went in that locker room, it, you know, whether it was the cornerbacks or the linebackers or back in the the back section where the practice squad guys were, or even sometimes over on that, some offensive guys would kind of come over and he he'd always be like right in the middle of it. So, you know, those are things that you kind of keep an eye on when you're in the locker room, which guys kind of get gravitated to, not just by their position group, but by like other guys in that locker room and other position groups.
0: Two things that totally validate that, Dan, being in that locker room, it reminded me of guys that I had played football with, guys that just have that presence, that size to them. They're loving, they're funny, they're witty, but they're not going to take any BS and they're not going to let the coach or the front office duke them. Meaning Sheldon Richardson would call it like it is if he didn't think the guys playing deserved to be there or that this coaching staff wasn't pulling the right strings. And I think that was completely solidified. When I I was writing a story the other day, looking for a a photo of Baker Mayfield and our photographers our wonderful photographers had up um, that photo of him and Baker Mayfield hugging Sheldon Richardson and Baker hugging. And to me, that tells you, like, we're going to have all offseason to discuss Baker, but Sheldon wouldn't show that authenticity to a guy like Baker if he didn't believe that that was their quarterback. It speaks volumes to what Baker has done this year, but it just, again, brings home the point that Sheldon is such a focal point of that locker room, despite him not being the face of it on a national level, you know, when we talk about Miles or Baker. But Sheldon has some pull in there and the respect of all 53 men.
1: Yeah, and I, I think a very key thing that that Sheldon did uh, last year was he held the team together in the aftermath yeah. of of the Miles Garrett suspension. I mean, he you know he had words with with Baker Mayfield about what he said, uh, and basically said, you know, we're a family and we have each other's backs, and 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 we don't do that. And and you know, and, and Baker, uh, you know, Baker listened to him, and for somebody to talk to Baker like that when Baker's basically the you know the leader of the team. Uh, That says something about Sheldon, and there was no way, there was no way he was, he was going to let anybody go outside the ranks, and it just, you know, just shows uh, how important team is, and how important family is, and, and he has those old school values, that's the thing about Sheldon Richardson, he is old school, right, I mean, he could have played back in the, you know, in the, in the 80s, and, you know. (laughs) <laughs> he would have fit right in with those kind
0: of guys. He would have hated all the practice time, but yeah, he would have fit
1: right in. <laughs> he really what, would have.
0: Wasn't he
2: the guy too? Maybe I have this wrong, but wasn't he the guy that said something to Baker when the Duke Johnson stuff was going on?
1: I think he was. He he, he may have been.
0: He, he
2: kind of called out Duke. I, I don't remember. um oh, I didn't think we'd spend this long talking about Sheldon Richardson, but I'm glad we did. He deserves it. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um,
2: so let, let's talk about those other two interior guys, Andrew Billings and Jordan Elliott. Elliott was a third round pick this year. Billings, they they brought in as a free agent. So obviously two guys this front office brought in. Um, you know, at one point, speaking of PFF grades, this is one of those weird things. Elliott was actually graded pretty highly among rookies. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my first response was kind of like, huh, I haven't really heard his name called very much, but obviously sometimes that's the life of a defensive tackle. Um, th- that's part of why you might see Larry be gone because you do have Billings who you paid and you obviously like, and then you drafted Jordan Elliott. And at some point, those two guys have to get their opportunities.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Jordan Elliott finished um, way down the list as well. Uh, He finished 97th uh, amongst defensive tackles with at least 20% uh, of, of the snaps but he was a young developmental guy and, and he should take that big jump in his second year. And and I think that with, you know, with more time on task, with, with more of an off season, although it is going to be another weird off season. And I think that's significant. They are not going to have OTAs again in person. They are not going to have mini camps again in person. And I think that hurts the development of these young guys. Um, And you really have to be able to try to coach them up as best you can virtually. And that's hard. But um, having said that, I, you know, he should be able to come back uh, next year and improve upon uh, the playing time he got this year. And he's going to have to, I mean, he's going to need to, you don't I mean, you, regardless of how much time and how many snaps you got, you don't want to be ending up down almost at 100. And again, these, aren't everything, but they are, like you said, a a guidepost to how a guy played.
0: Jordan Elliott's college tape really popped. He faced double teams basically every snap his last season there at Missouri and was still winning. He is someone I would bet on to really become an an anchor on this D-line. And every player that opted out this season feels like a, a delayed gratification to the to a GM in the front office, getting guys like this back that you planned on at first sucks to lose them, but then you have a decent year without them. And now you're getting them back going into the 2021 season. Billings is a guy they missed this year at times, times when the teams could just kind of get up the middle on him. He's going to plug that up. That's a two down type of three technique tackle that they just missed. And a guy they thought probably Larry Ogunjobi would turn into that. He just never became and going forward, I see it being Elliott and Billings. And you're right, walking through this exercise, it is, it's probably Larry Okunjobi as the odd man out. And, you know, we'll
2: see how Billings comes back, right? You know, missing a year of football, it, yeah. you know, we'll see. There, there's no reason to think that he wouldn't be in shape or, or wouldn't be able to come back. But sometimes, uh, you know, missing that year of football, uh, you know, it, it can cause some problems. I'm going to throw out a really random name for you guys. And I want to know if you even remember this, but I'm going to throw out a really random name. This is not an interior guy. This is an edge or a, you know, a defensive end. This guy came in 11th out of 11 names that I put on our poll, but it's a name I've had circled because the Browns kind of took a little risk on this guy back in training camp. Are there any guesses who I'm talking about? They snagged him off a team that put him on IR guys even remember
1: oh, man. pff
2: loved him he's sort of a jordan elliott type like pff he was one of those guys that pff had really high up their board nobody else kind of did curtis weaver from boise state
0: oh wow yeah okay
2: do you guys even remember how he ended up here
0: i don't know i
2: actually i'll be honest it, i remembered there was a guy like this but i had to look on the roster to find his name so don't feel bad that you didn't remember his name <laughs> The Dolphins drafted him. I should I, sh- I should have looked this up before we came on. The Dolphins drafted him, and they had to put him on IR. And to put him on IR, they had to put him on waivers. And yep. when they put him on waivers, Andrew Berry and his staff jumped in and took him. Oh, uh, let me see. the Dolphins drafted him in the fifth round.
0: Yeah.
2: Of the yep. draft, and they waived injured him on August twenty fourth, and the Browns claimed him mm-hmm. off of waivers. This is a guy from Boise State. I believe he set the conference record for sacks. Yep. And like I said, he's one of those guys, kind of one of those weird, like on every draft board, he's maybe not showing up as high as he did on the PFF draft board, a little bit like Jordan Elliott. I'm keeping an eye on him. <laughs> I just, forgot just about because, him. Just now because we're... he's a guy the Browns clearly wanted to go out and get for whatever reason. He, he piqued yeah. Andrew Barry's interest and they wanted this guy. I don't know anything about him. But you always kind of watch how teams go and get guys. And mm-hmm. that one stood out to me when they made that move.
0: Yeah, Dan, it's a great deep cut by you. I remember writing about Curtis Weaver, and it, it, it made sense. He was a guy I saw in, a, in the later round for the Browns. So for you to now claim him as your guy, I'm, <laughs> I'm jealous. We're only, we're only like five days removed from the season, and Dan's already
1: <laughs> got a deep guy. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, you know how that goes. If, when you claim a guy as your guy... <laughs> I mean, he's just untouchable and, and nobody else, nobody else can have him. Even if, uh, even if people do swoop in later and try to steal your guy, you know, which does happen sometimes.
2: Oh, it happens.
1: <laughs> but we'll, we'll let you have Curtis Weaver. He's your guy, Dan.
2: Well, we'll, we'll see if it pays off or if uh, <laughs> we're going to the training camp and people are like, Dan, do you remember when you liked that Curtis Weaver guy who's not even on the roster anymore? Uh, well, we'll see if that ultimately pays off. Okay, let me go through the poll results. We'll make sure we didn't miss anybody here. Uh, Richardson was two. Ogan Joby was three. Claiborne was four. Vernon was five. Billings, six. Elliott, seven. Gustin, eight. Oh, Vinny Taylor, nine. Joe Jackson, 10. I don't know we need to spend a lot of time on those guys. Um, let it, let's go ahead and, and give Miles Garrett a little bit of time here, though, at the end, just because yep. um, but the one thing about Garrett, every year he's come back, he's been better. I, I felt like this year he really kind of – I feel like in a weird way, even though everything was on Zoom and we weren't in the locker room, I almost feel like we kind of got to know Miles a little bit more this year. Mm -hmm. I felt like he was really open and honest when he talked to us. Um, And on the field, he was playing really well before COVID. I mean, he was a legit defensive player of the year candidate. And I just really think that the way this season ended for him is going to, I think we're going to see, again, somehow, we're going to see an even better Miles Garrett next year.
1: Well, you know what is so disappointing about this whole thing for for Miles Garrett is that, I mean, he really was on track for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. He really was on track to break the Browns' single-season sack record and achieve some of these goals that he really wanted in addition to getting to the playoffs. And then he just never was himself after that. COVID took it out of him. I mean, it really did. It took it out of him. And he was just never the same after that. Again, he had two and a half sacks after, um, after he came back. He really struggled. He was out there battling. And then in this past game, uh, you know, we saw what happened. He, he suffered an oblique injury, which affects every single move that you make. So uh, no matter what you try to do, you can barely breathe when, if you have an oblique. If, if he tore, and basically when you injure a muscle, you're tearing the muscle. So he's got a torn oblique. And, and that, that impacted him. And, and Ellis, you, you said, and you mentioned, and I'm sure this is, I have not gone back and studied the whole entire game yet, which I still have to do. Um, I was in Hall of Fame voting all day yesterday, so I couldn't do it yesterday. <laughs> um, but anyways, you know, I'd like to think because we saw him chase down Mercole Hardman 42 yards down the field and make that tackle uh, in the beginning of the game, uh, that, that if he had anything left after sacking Chad Henney on that final drive that he would have been able to get there. And I just don't think he had anything left after that with the oblique and with everything that he had been through in that game. He didn't have, he, he needed somebody else to make that play. He didn't have it. Um, He was hardly able to catch his breath after that. So that's, that's unfortunate because I think a 100% miles can wreck that game. I think he can wreck that game. They were down to their third string right tackle. Okay. Their third string right tackle. Normally you would think you could put Miles Garrett over that guy occasionally, and and he's going to wreck that game for you. And and he just wasn't himself. And in this game, they didn't have Olivier Vernon to come in and help save the day. Uh, So I just think him coming down with COVID was just such an unfortunate situation. For the football team, and may have cost them actually at least going to the AFC championship game.
0: These past two seasons, Miles Garrett has gotten the back end of his year taken from him. Yep. I'm confident that eventually, and why not have it be next season? This will become Miles Garrett's defensive league. He'll take the throne, the crown from Aaron Donald, and become the most dominant player on defense he was just scratching the surface of that this year before he caught COVID and give him 16 games of of full health and consistent practice and consistent training no curveballs he's not only going to set the Browns single season sack record at some point in his career he's going to flirt with Michael Strahan's record he will come after it he is that dominant and the only difference between him and Donald is he plays on the end which gives him more opportunities at the quarterback. And I think that's where this is headed. He is the, the most freakish talent in this league right now, aside from maybe a few crazy unicorn quarterbacks and Aaron Donald. But that's where this is headed. The Browns have a bona fide star and stud who unfortunately has had his past two second half of his seasons damaged for different reasons, but nonetheless, he was not himself in those the, the second half of the year again, for different reasons, but that's the track record he's on. And he just laid the foundation of it in the first half of the year this year. And I'm so excited to see what next year has in store. And and I can't imagine there's much
2: scarier for a quarterback than to see miles coming around that edge with that arm no up in the air. There's no way trying to get that strip sack and then, you know, batting down with that arm. Um, that's gotta be a scary sight for a, for a quarterback to see. And for miles, listen, if, if Chad Henney doesn't make that run, we might be sitting here talking about, hey, the Browns are playing the Bills on Saturday, or I'm yeah. sorry, on Sunday, and in big part because Miles Garrett came up with a sack on second down and yeah. that set up third down and thirteen. That that had the potential to be one of those game changing plays. But unfortunately, yeah. like you said, Mary Kay, Miles wasn't able to, to chase down Chad Henney and he didn't get the help he needed.
1: Yeah, and I, I honestly believe in my heart of hearts that a, a healthy Miles Garrett that that didn't tear his oblique in that game, would have been able to do enough to to put them over the edge to help them win that game. I, I really do believe that, and and I just think it's so unfortunate for them because I mean not only did they have uh, that situation with Miles, but Denzel was uh, having to come off and get oxygen in that game. So COVID really did it really did hurt them in in the end. I mean somehow you know they made made it uh to into the playoffs and they and they won a game despite the crazy covid stuff but i think it cost them i think it cost them against the chiefs with um, you know with miles and with denzel
0: dan you mentioned the sack that made it second and 14 i broke that play down for 45 minutes i got to watch the tape today so <laughs> we just keep this podcast going i still got my notes right here i can dive back into it
2: i i <laughs> promised was, you i promised you we wouldn't go 3 hours today like like you did on uh I've got to watch the tape, which is coming out in two episodes uh, soon. So everybody make sure they, they keep an eye out um, for that. And then, of course, we're going to be back uh, as we are we're, we're, every day. We're going to continue our positions. We're going to move on to the offensive line uh, on Friday. I think we're going to do some picks for these, uh, these conference championship games. I have not looked to see how we all did. Uh, I'm not very confident that I did very well this past week, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. And then I'm actually trying to line up a guest. I know that this wasn't a very popular take on the postgame pod the other night, but I'm I'm trying to line up a guest to sell Browns fans on why they should adopt the Buffalo Bills for the remainder of this postseason. We have a Bills writer who works for our sister site. He's had me on his pod and going to repay the favor and see if he can convince Browns fans why they should adopt Josh Allen and the Bills for at least a few weeks here uh, in, in these playoffs. Hopefully a few weeks. I've adopted the Bills. I'm all on. I'm all in, I should say. Bill's Mafia. I'm on the bandwagon. Okay, make sure you're subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. you can get got to watch the tape and all of these podcasts that come every day in the feed. And check out Football Insider, like I tell you, every episode before we start. Uh, for Ellis and Mary I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.